You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to get Onyx Maps on your phone, you need to get Onyx Maps on your phone, and I'm going to tell you why. Number one, I am the kind of guy who likes to know where I'm at at all times, and I like to do a lot of running and gunning. So there's times where access is very important for me, knowing where I was at, knowing how to get to a specific location, especially in the dark of morning or night, getting in and getting out. And the best part for me is that I have GPS on my phone, and Onyx allows you to leave basically breadcrumbs uh, and leave a trail or your access routes on your phone, save those access routes, and then use your GPS going in and out of your tree stand locations every single day. And it's awesome because you won't get lost in the dark. And I use that so much, that little portion in itself, so much throughout the season that uh, it's probably the most useful function of that app. Now, you can also leave waypoints like where your trail cameras are at, where your tree stands are at, where you see scrapes and rubs or marking trailheads or campsites. This is the perfect app for a do-it-yourself hunter. I mean, really for all hunters, because it allows you to journal your properties that you hunt, right? And uh, the more information you have, the more successful you will be on a yearly basis because you keep gathering data and gathering data and gathering data. And soon you'll see trends in that data and those trends will lead you to hunting more efficiently and becoming more successful, in my opinion. So go to Onyx or wherever you download your apps, pick up Onyx, and you can use the discount code NATION20, N-A-T-I-O-N 20, and save 20% off for first-time users. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, where we celebrate our hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos, no status, just catch it, cut it, and cook it. This is episode 38, A Hound's Nose Knows, with Tony Hill. Nick checked with friend and greenhorn deer tracker, Tony Hill. Tony is an experienced houndsman raising beagles for bunnies, but decided this past year to jump into the blood tracking game. He and his pup, Fred, have been out and trying to find dead deer for hunters that have just lost the track and lost the trail. We touch on some of the basics of houndsmanship, 
we share a story of a friend of ours that uh, lost the trail. And we also touch on a little bit of Tony out west in Colorado on the outback. Anyway, sit back and enjoy the show. And it's ringing. Hello? Hey, Tony, how's it going? Good, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Hey, just a heads up, you are the very first phone connection here on the Huntivore, so congratulations. Thanks, man. That's that's awesome. I'm happy to be happy to be a, a guest on your podcast. Awesome. Can you uh can you hear me all right? Yeah. Good deal. Yeah, it seems to be seems to be perfect. Excellent. I'm just playing with a little bit of the dials here, trying to make sure that I can hear you as well. Uh hey, happy Friday. Is uh how was work today? Uh, it was good. It was it was a long day. I didn't get as much done as I hoped, so I had plans to go out on some public land and hang and hunt, but didn't get as much done as I planned, as early as I planned, so I ended up just having to go out back behind my house and sit in the old trusty tree stand, but I didn't have any luck tonight, so. Gotcha. You see any movement? Uh, nothing. It was, it was pretty windy out here tonight. Strong Northwest wind. And we still have a ton of corn up too. So that doesn't help. No, that does not help at all. We've, uh, we got in, we're on some sandy ground. So at the farm, uh, corn was in early, which meant it actually came out early. We were all done in October. Um, so yeah, it's been kind of nice seeing, uh, critters run around the field, but I'm sure, yeah, everything's inside the rows you might as well just get out of the stand and start walking through them yeah um we were lucky enough on thanksgiving day he had uh we did a deer drive we it's a tradition for us and we're lucky enough my brother got a really nice four point on our first drive and that was exciting it's nice to do those traditional things and everybody get together and uh be a part of the harvest especially on thanksgiving yeah those are always fun uh here at the farm we got um a couple guys that all hunt my my family's all into farming so i'm I'm the only hunter uh with the namesake but i've got a couple guys that are in the area so yeah we always get together for coffee before and after and that's our our thanksgiving thing so yeah that is pretty cool well hey man we had a cold start we just jumped right in um folks Happy uh, Friday, even though this is probably going to come out on a Monday. Uh, but anyway, happy Friday. It's a beautiful first week here in December. I am digitally sitting across from Tony Hill uh, with Michigan Blood Trackers. Is, is that the name of the organization? Uh, Michigan Deer Tracking Network is our official. Uh, that's our Facebook group. Um, that's our official Facebook group. And then I'm a part of. The United Blood Trackers, which is our the national organization, and they have members spread out all over the country. Gotcha. So it's Michigan Deer Trackers, but then there's a nationwide organization that's the the blood tracking. Yep. Awesome. So the yeah, the Michigan Deer Tracking Network is is where I got started, and it's where I met a lot of my mentors. So it's it's been really good to Fred and I this past year. Well, good deal. 
How does one uh, jump in to something like that? Have you always been a dog guy? Have you like always had puppies and just had working dogs around you, or is this just something new that you've decided? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get a dog and and make it work. So I've always been a hound guy. Um, we've had hounds, specifically beagles, since I could barely walk. My dad grew up with beagles. Uh, my brother and I used to raise and sell beagles when we were younger, and but we always used them for rabbits, and it was always chasing rabbits. And then two years ago, I lost my uh, 14-year-old beagle uh, trooper, and it, it just felt different. Um, I took some time off. We we didn't we didn't want to jump back into things because I was still busy and we're figuring things out with my schedule. So I didn't want to take on the task of raising a new puppy without having the time to do it. Gotcha. Yeah. We had a dog for nine years and we got it as a pup as well. It, it really didn't, I mean, it was a working breed. It was a border collie mixed with Australian shepherd, I believe just high strung. Uh, that thing specialized in varmints. I mean, it could take (laughs) out a woodchuck in no, no time flat. Um, but even just having it for nine years, it, it, we didn't work it. Uh, I, I didn't, I don't, I don't have the training before that or anything, but yeah, losing a pet like that was hard. I couldn't imagine having, you know, basically a, a hunting pal that you lose after 14 years that it probably warrants some time off there. Yeah. I, I got him from when I was 10 and then, so my girlfriend and I were just, scrolling through facebook one day uh and we came upon these puppies they were a breed that um blue tycoon hound plot hound mix nothing special uh just they were a mixed breed the mom was a purebred the dad was more of a mutt and we decided that hey why don't we go take a look at them they only had one puppy left so we did we didn't get to choose. <laughs> you get to choose the last one. That's right there. Yeah. Yeah. So we made the drive up. Uh, it was actually the same weekend as the total archery challenge. We ended up going up to Boyne, but to look at a dog instead. And Fred was only five weeks at the time. And we immediately, he showed, even at a young age, he showed some of the characteristics that I looked for in a hound and, he was nose to the ground at five weeks. And another key thing that I found, because the hounds are typically a, a pack oriented animal. He was always on his own and a tracking dog usually are most of the time are run individually. So unless you have an older backup dog, but so that was one key trait that I looked for. He was always on his own. He was always, always nose to the ground, sniffing <laughs> there you go now like we reading that from five weeks old i guess that would be a, a training thing um like you said you've been raising hounds for a long time is it as much of the breed or is it as much training or, or are you just basically taking their instincts and giving them a direction to go on yeah it's 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 much of the breed but it it's bringing out those instincts i mean all these dogs, all the hounds have a desire to hunt. And the thing is honing that characteristic into what you want the dogs to chase, whether it's coons, bears, 
or rabbits. Now, Fred is a coon hound. Delta's parents are bear hounds. But um, it's easy enough to uh, hone that desire for deer. So as soon as we got him, I picked him up at seven weeks old. He was on old deer hides, deer hooks, everything exposing him to his new world of deer tracking. Yeah. So you're basically just like, yeah, yeah, even though he's got that coon instinct, he's jumping right into the, the deer aspect of it. Um, now, from that seven-week-on period, it's like every day that you're, you're basically turning this little guy into a machine at that point. Are, are you setting up uh, exercises for him, even at that young age? Or is there like a school that you guys go off to? How did Fred become... The, the Fred that he is now in just such a short amount of time, I guess what I'm asking. So there, there's a book out. It's called Tracking Dogs for Finding Wounded Deer. It's by um, John Giannini. I know I butchered his last name, but he's like one of the original starters of blood tracking in the nation. And he's, him and his wife um, started the United Blood Trackers organization, I believe. And he runs Tackles, which is a small wire-haired dash hound, and his book has everything you need to know about starting a deer tracking dog. So anybody that's out there that's looking to start blood tracking or even somebody that has started and doesn't own this book, I would advise you to go out. And he has literally step-by-step process of how to train a young dog. So I started out with Fred. Um uh, beef liver drags because I didn't have any uh, deer liver drags so just laying a deer liver drag out in the backyard and then hour later bring them out there and it was only like 10 yards and then aging it longer and increasing the the time and then the biggest thing was enjoying the prize at the end and encouraging the whole tracking aspect yeah, so as much as he's on it, the track, he's enjoying that. He's, you know, he's got to have that reward at the end. It's at that young age. It's a, it's a game. It's, you got to play play these drag games before they really grab on to just basically intrinsically being rewarded as they find the end result. Yeah. So after the liver drags, we moved on to. I was lucky enough, uh, Brian Alberta. He runs Lost Blood Deer Tracking, and Bindi has Bloodhound. Uh, I posted a video on United Blood Trackers. He responded immediately and brought over like 13 sets of deer hooves, high blood, everything that I would need to get started as a rookie tracker and spent probably an hour, over an hour at my house, giving me everything I needed to know about how to get it started. So after I received those materials, we started doing hoof drags since Fred was Fred was still a little young to transition into just interdigital gland tracks. So we just did drag, drags, and I aged those out to seven hours and three, four, five hundred yard tracks. And the biggest thing was just making sure you keep his confidence up on each and every track. So if one day he has a bad track, then maybe the next time we reduce the age or we reduce the distance just so 
every single time we're doing a track, he's improving. That's so cool. And like to talk about, you know, you, you said you picked this up at, uh, in June and here it is like basically six months away. Here we are sitting in December and, you know, Fred's had some, some great tracks. I've, I've been following along with, um, find, is it find it Fred? Is that the handle yep. that he's on? Yep. Yeah. Find it Fred. Find it Fred. And just seeing all the tracks that, uh, he, you and he have, have been a part of, which is, is super cool. And, um, we came across an experience too. This is the one big reasons why Tony, I wanted, I wanted to have you on is, you know, we had connected, um, quite a while ago at uh total archery challenge. And I think we were at, um, the deer hunter podcast movie review, you know, just getting a chance to meet each other. And you had mentioned that you were going to get this blood tracking dog. And I think that even in Michigan, the whole organization was still a little bit underground, or at least it hadn't jumped up into what I really think this year, um, the Michigan deer tracking network has really, I think flourished, or at least as far as like getting the name out, getting, um, trackers names out there, having numbers available. Um, I think you guys have done an incredible job of just being able to try and get more and more notice to say, Hey, we're here to help. Um, but anyway, I had a buddy of mine, um, who hit a nice big buck and he was really looking forward to, to getting it, uh, tracked it. And just the hit that they put on it or that he put on it was just not favorable. They basically, they couldn't find any blood and it started to be like basically, uh, droppings. And I think they had some like green bile or something, but anyway, do you remember the, uh, the winger track that you were on? Yeah, I, I remember it very well. <laughs> <laughs> that was the weekend. I, um, it was my, probably my best weekend of the year. Fred and I went two for four that weekend. But the thing that people don't realize is Fred and I also spent more than eight hours in a car driving to tracks that weekend. It was, I started the weekend up north in Traverse City and up, uh, we have a family property up in Kalkaska, Michigan. And I did a track in Traverse city. Fred was lucky enough to find it the next day. It only went 75 yards. We had no blood, uh, only at the shot site. The hunter had lucky enough. He clipped the main artery that runs along the spine and 75 yards later, there laid his buck. And Tyler had called me Saturday night while I was in McBain on another track and actually you called me first and contacted me and then Tyler and I I did everything I could to try and uh, navigate our network to try and find somebody closer at that point but that I believe that was the weekend before Halloween yeah and it was just before the holiday we were slammed I mean these dogs can only handle two to two to maybe four tracks a weekend at depending on each track has a different variable, whether like the track that went on Trevor city, that only took us 10 minutes. So that's not a big problem, but sometimes we go out on tracks and we're there five, six hours. And that really drains the dogs, not only physically, but mentally as well, trying to find that cold scent. So I contacted Tyler. I tried to get, 
uh, two other trackers set up, but they were slammed as well. So as soon as we got home, I unpacked everything and I was literally home less than 10 minutes and we were back on the road again. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I like I got a hold of you because I knew I was like he's he's not going to make the call. And I've got I got another question that I'm going to come down a little bit later, um, uh, just on that same idea. But I was like, I don't know if he's going to make the call. So basically, I was going to just make the first initial contact because I knew he was really hoping uh, to get this buck back. So I was super glad when when he gave you the call. And just from his his mindset of it, like he's getting this call, here comes this guy and his dog, and he's like, what has Otto got me into right now? <laughs> <laughs> you guys go on this gator ride uh, out to his uh, his uh, grandparents' property where uh, the, the track starts, and um, his description of it is that as soon as Fred hit the ground, he's sniffing around like, all right, this is the way we need to go, that pretty much Fred was dragging you across the hills there going through a bunch of willows. Is it as much, I mean, you're, you're controlling the dog, but is it some points you're just kind of like you let, Hey, Fred seems to know what he's doing. We're just going to let Fred go. Yeah. So the biggest saying we have is trust your dog. The nose always knows. And sometimes trackers or handlers get in trouble. And that's our biggest problem is, how did you're trusting a six month old dog at that point? Fred's six months old. He's still a puppy. You're you're trusting the fact. Sometimes I was you're miles deep in a swamp in the dark of the night, and you're trusting a six month old puppy to lead you to a deer. <laughs> and that it can be a little discouraging when some tracks you don't have blood for any confirmation and. The dogs don't track off blood. They track off the interdigital gland scent, but it's that still that blood is just confirmation for me and confirmation for the hunter that, hey, we're doing this right. So on Tyler's track, we had no blood. We were there the next day. Um, he started us at the hit site. Fred, Fred struggled a little bit just because they had walked through there and the track was 21 hours old at that point. So we struggled a little bit, but what I think happened is Fred was pulling us towards the deer at the beginning and I didn't even realize it. And we like to take into account what the hunter says and you can't always trust the hunter, but you have to have a good faith. And so I, Fred starts us off and he led us right to where luckily Tyler had marked his, some of his last blood or, bile the green bile that we found yeah from with his arrow so we were able to fred was able to lead us to that point and then this was the thickest nastiest (laughs) (laughs) hill country i'm on my hands and knees crawling through and we get to the last spot and he's like all right i have no idea from here and we're following uh just it looked honestly it looked like a deer poop that's that's what we were following it was uh talking with some veteran trackers they believe uh he had sliced where the esophagus uh connects to the stomach in the the rumen area and that's where we're finding that green bile oh gotcha from 
from the where he had hit the deer. And then, so Fred's dragging me through these willows. And all of a sudden, we got to an opening. And these the these dogs' noses are so incredible. Um, we get to an opening, and we're just about to uh, go into some more thick, nasty briars. And Fred picks his head up. And I've seen it before, and it's called air scenting or wind scenting. The dogs are able to pick up that scent from the deer through through the wind. And all of a sudden, Fred bolts 75 yards to the left. And so we're off to the left and going through thick, nasty country. And Tyler had mentioned earlier, hey, there's a lake over here. And we didn't go to the lake, but there's a good chance that the deer went in the lake. So I, I thought, all right, we'll mark where we had the last, where Fred turned. And then if nothing comes of this, we'll come back after that. So Tyler and I start going through and it's nasty. We're crawling up and over logs and under logs. And then we get to the edge of the lake and Tyler shouts, there he is, there he is. And the deer had actually uh, fallen down like a cliff and landed in the lake. And I couldn't see because we were the brush and everything was so thick, but the deer ended up dying in the lake. So with how wet it's been this fall, I've been wearing my hip boots on almost every track <laughs> just because there's a really good chance we're going to end up in water, going through water at some point. Yeah. There's going to be wet spots everywhere. Yeah. So I waited out in the lake and this deer was just enormous. The body, I had a hard time dragging it out of the water and we finally get it on shore. And it was just, it was such a relief. Uh, this is, this, this is the first track that I had done with Fred that for 400 yards, we never really even had any blood confirmation. The only thing we had was the green bile. Yeah. that we had found along the trail just a little bit yeah just like a little bit of green spatter and a little bit of shit here and there and that's yeah that's all it is well that's yeah, it was that's great so yeah you get the deer you drag it up out of the water and it's just this moose yeah it was it was it was full rut the neck on that thing looked like it looked like it was a canadian deer honestly it was it was just huge and it's part of the reason we both looked at it and we're like, man, I thought he's like, I thought the rack looked a little bigger. And then I was like, yeah, but you have to take into the count. That thing is enormous. Like <laughs> it was a giant eight point and it didn't look so giant because the body was so big. Yeah. No, it had real thick. I mean, even just checking out the, uh, um, pedicles on that thing. I mean, it was, I mean, a good handful as far as right there at the bases, um, I got a chance to look at the deer hanging up later, and yeah, wow, it was a huge deer. He was so stoked to uh, to have you guys come on out and uh, and track that, because otherwise, that would have been a lost cause. You know, we had nothing to even go on. You just spinning around, I guess, grid search at that point. But uh, yeah, that was an amazing thing that Fred was able to uh, pin pinpoint where that deer was at. Yeah, and it was it was it was an awesome experience, and. The crazy thing is why we always have to ask hunters how much 
property or how much acreage they have before we go on tracks because during Tyler's track, Fred and I covered 400 yards in eight minutes on my Onyx. We I use it on my Onyx map tracker uh, to keep track of how far we've gone. And Fred covered 400 yards in like 10 minutes. So we're always, these dogs, these dogs are so incredible that something that would take you and I maybe four hours to cover 200 yards, they can do it in minutes. It's, yeah, it's, it's just amazing part of creation. Like how, man, we've got amazing brain power. We can solve problems. But when it comes to scent and all that, man, we are just dumb in the water. We don't, we can't do nothing. Yeah, it's, it's incredible for a, even a six month old dog to have that incredible nose power is, it's unbelievable that sometimes when you think just in, Fred was born May 1st. So in that short amount of time, he's blossomed into something that I have a hard time believing how well he's done this year with how young he's been. It's great to hear you talk about, you know, just a story like that and, and, and finding a deer. Um, one question I had too, is that, um, and I'm sure you get it all the time. There's misconceptions that hunters are having, um, as far as how do we use, uh, this new tool that really I think has been kind of put to the forefront to say, Hey, please get a hold of us. We are a willing party. We want to help. We're here to improve your odds. Um, I had been to like the Grand Rapids trade show and gotten the cards before on dog tracking, like call this number. Um, a couple misconceptions I had is like, is it, is it going to be an inconvenience to you as a dog handler to travel and find my deer? Or is this something that you guys are seeking out? Is this something you really want to do? Oh, we're we're definitely seeking out um there are some trackers that are willing to travel farther than others but definitely we're all everybody is always their number one thing is helping hunters find deer and putting deer in the tailgates that's what we always say we're always looking out for the hunter and the biggest thing is making sure like you having having a number to call or having somebody to call ahead of time so when the time comes on the rare occasion, say you've never used a dog before, but you might need one. So save those numbers, uh, join the Michigan deer tracking network on Facebook, save those numbers. We have a list of hunters all over the, all over the state that are willing to travel. Most of us hour, hour and a half from our locations. And the last thing we want to do is leave your deer in the woods and, the biggest thing is once you do make contact with a tracker and a dog to pull out of the woods and respect the fact that he is coming and he's, he's taking the time to come help you harvest your deer. So respect his time and um, pull out of the woods and make sure you mark the trail, mark your last blood, mark your hit site and do everything possible because we can't find deer that aren't dead if that makes sense i mean we we give 100 percent every track but the only deer we can find are deer that are going to die or 
that have passed already. So that's another misconception that that's kind of out there that we're some sort of saviors. And the truth is we can only find deer that are dead. Hey, while I got you here, just want to take a quick second to say thank you. Recently, I got some numbers from Dan over at Sportsman's Nation headquarters, and we've got 37,000 downloads in the year 2019. That just blows any expectation that I had for my own podcast here. So again, I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for engaging in the discussion. And I am just super encouraged to keep on going into this 2020 year uh, refreshed and now very much encouraged to continue to provide content all about wild game, prepping out our animals that we've now captured, caught, or killed, and how we can better utilize our meat supply that we've now gained. Or add in a few more things like foraging and gardening as well. But folks, again, I just say thank you so much for uh, all the attention that you have given to this podcast and uh, just know that it's going to continue in the future. In addition, I just want to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And I want to leave you with a little excerpt from Luke. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Happy holidays, folks, and enjoy the rest of the show. I know that I get a, a good hit on a dog, or I get a good hit, hit on a deer. I do not get to get a, hood, a good hit on a dog. That would be bad. Um, <laughs> good hit on a deer. But yeah, my, my track all of a sudden drives up. What kind of time do I spend on my own? before I finally say, hey, I'm going to call the dog? Should that be something that I want to do sooner or later? No, it all depends on the hit. So something like a shoulder shot with a bow is something where you want to track immediately because odds are the deer is going to clot up and stop bleeding. Now in Michigan, since we do have leash laws, it's going to be extremely hard to catch up to a shoulder shot deer just because the parcels of land in Michigan are small. Getting permission is hard and catching up to a wounded deer is no easy feat with a dog on a 30 foot leash. So that's one instance where we may start earlier. Now things like a gut shot, liver shot, those are tracks that we recommend liver shots six hours at least a gut shot we most of us want to run them at 12 maybe even 15 hours after the shot because depending on the weather now if there's rain or extenuating circumstances with work we understand everybody has jobs and there's things like that but the best thing to do is after you have last resort after you've done exercise everything is to back out as soon as you as soon as you decide that you're going to call a dog the best thing to do is back out because every single step you take grid searching spreads that scent 
over the entire property. So, um, uh, Kevin from the Deer Hunter podcast uh, alludes to the the white carpet analogy, where every time you walk in a deer's bedroom, it's like your muddy boots walking on a white carpet. Now, with blood tracking or deer tracking, it's the same thing. Every time you walk over that blood trail, grid searching, you're spreading that scent on that white carpet all over. And now, Fred struggles as a six-month-old dog, and even veteran dogs struggle with that grid search at the end of the track. And it sometimes can make it nearly impossible for us to get past after hunters have grid search. So the best thing to do after you have exercised all options on a dog is to back out, get a tracker in line to come, whether that's the night, the next morning, because these dogs can track 24 hour plus old tracks with no problem. Um, so it's, it's good. The best thing to do is to back out and let us come in and the cleaner the track, the better. It makes it so much easier on the dogs and so much easier on the handlers when we can read our dogs on a clean scent. That's a great piece of advice there. As far as like, when you get to where it's really starting to get tough, uh, you've run out of blood rather than, all right, let's get everybody and their brother out to start searching for this thing. To really be like, oh, you know what? Let's take a step back. Let's just pull everything out at this point and call the specialist as far as the, it being the dog. So I love how you say that. That's a great analogy, too, that uh, it's a white carpet and you've the muddy boots are already already in there. The deer has set the, tr- the, the track. But as we fan through that, we muddy that water. We basically spread it around. And so everything we can do to help the dog is what you're saying is just back out and let the nose do the work. Yep. It's, and, and we understand hunters, you want to do everything to find that deer. So we understand that if you did not know a dog was an option or so a lot of times, a lot of tracks this year, I've gotten referrals from friends of friends to track their deer who had no idea that Fred and I were even an option. So we understand that sometimes, yes, it happens, but the best thing to do is go like Michigan Deer Tracking Network on Facebook. Find the tracker that is closest to you. Give them a call and talk to him before the season starts and just see where he's located, if he's willing to travel, what what his schedule looks like. So when the time comes or if the time comes, he he knows who you are. He recognizes you. And he's more than willing, we're more than willing to come out and we have no problem coming out. So that's, that's the biggest thing is being aware of the, the network and how, how far we reach. We, we have trackers all the way up Gaylord, the Western UP, all the way down to the Indiana border. And even into Ohio, guys that would travel into Ohio, Indiana. So it's, there's, if one guy can't help you, chances are he knows somebody or can get you in contact with somebody that can help you. I love it. It's, you know, everybody talks about like how the Avengers are like the superheroes. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking you guys at the network are the superheroes right now. Um, archery's tough. And are you seeing that? Because I was talking to, um, I don't know if you know him, Ray, and I forget his last name, but his dog's name's Bird. Um, 
also first year trackers. Um, but I was talking with him and I said, so how was your gun season? Have you uh, been out with the dog? And he said, you know, it's actually been really quiet. Um, do you find majority of your tracking with Fred is during the archery season? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, gun season, our calls have almost come to uh, a complete halt. We've, We've only got maybe four calls and the two tracks that I'm lucky enough to have gone on have both been for, um, one was for my brother's father-in-law. Another one was for my old football coach's wife. So it was close, close family friends that, uh, I was lucky enough to track for, but I have not, I have not received, uh, hardly any network calls and, it's it really slows down during gun season and uh part of that is people can take two shots and it's it's a much much (laughs) much easier to track a wounded deer especially during the daylight and make a follow-up shot with a gun than it is with a bow and uh the tracks we do go on um leg shots we see those uh shoulder shots um the 450 bushmaster we see uh quite a few shots uh from that um but yeah definitely the calls have slowed and almost come to a halt but it's uh it's hard because the first year you get excited and then everything during the rut uh it was absolutely insane the amount of calls that some guys were getting 43 calls in a day some of the more experienced trackers yeah and at that point it's we have to take the best odds of recovery because then at that point we can only run maybe three to five tracks a day so as hard as it is to say we have to kind of filter those calls out and give us the take the tracks that are given going to give us the best chance at recovery. There you go. Yeah, that's good. You got to kind of filter that almost like uh what do I want to say? Triage in the hospital. You know, they're going to, you're going to, they're going to go after the people that uh, have the best odds, at least at that point. So no, that's great. Um, oh, I had a great question that was completely blanked on it. I'm sure it'll come back to me. <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's, it's it's hard during gun season i mean and another thing a lot of us don't track gun season during the day or on opening day or we have unless you have a significant amount of land say 80 100 acres we don't want to go out during opening day opening weekend and because a lot of us are hunters ourselves so we enjoy hunting and we're out hunting and we don't want to be the reason um, we blow somebody's hunt tracking. So, and for the safety, honestly, um, it's walking a dog through the woods in November is during the middle of, of gun season, um, especially on public land is, is not, not a great idea. So most trackers and uh, their dogs are only tracking at night during gun season to just be safe and, 
make sure that we're getting home to our families. Exactly. Actually, that was where my question was going to be going is in gun season. Is that the mentality is that, you know, you've got so many people now in the woods and it's yeah, you've got you've got a critter with four legs that's moving like an animal and you happen to be on the other end of a leash on that thing. Um, you know, guys get buck fever and they just start flinging lead. Yeah. And I don't want to say yeah. that, like, you know, I think we've gotten better as a uh, hunting community. You still hear about stories like that. I think a lot of those are just to, I don't want to say tall tales, but at the same time, like people talk about that to say like, hey, have your head on a swivel so that you're not just walking around, yeah, surprising somebody. But at the same time, as a hunter, you want to make sure you identify what you are, you're shooting at. You're not just, oh, I saw something move. I'm going to blast it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Safety is our number one thing. Um, even uh, Fred wears a bright orange vest. Uh, we have a bright, I wear orange. The hunters are all wearing orange. Um, but still it's, it's a safety thing. Um, I both, uh, all the gun tracks I've run this year, I ran one during the day, but that was a special case. We ran it on a Monday during the, uh, at 11 AM. So we figured the chances of other hunters being out there, were slim they had permission on all the surrounding properties and nobody was going to be out there so you'll find in a case where if all the circumstances are met we will go do a track during the day but we we also have to understand that there are hunters out there and everybody is looking to bag a deer and put that meat in the freezer so our number one goal is is to find the deer but also to make sure that we're not interrupting anybody else's hunt that's good. That's awesome. I love the consideration that you guys have put in is, you know, as hunters, like we want to, we want to bring things in that they're going to help us. But at the same time, you know, I'm sitting in a stand and all of a sudden here comes Jimbo and he's called his buddy Fred and his Fred handler. And they come walking around trying to find this deer. Yeah. You want to be respectful of the other people that are around. Um, being a hound, uh, is Fred. And again, he's young. So maybe you don't know yet. Is Fred just specialized to blood, or are you going to see if you can't use him in other fats, in other facets, or is he um, going to be a specific blood tracking dog? Yep, Fred will. Fred is only going to be on deer. Um, when I first got him, I toyed around with the idea of maybe running coyotes or something like that. But the more I got onto it, and the more I thought about it, it's it's so much work keeping starting him on deer and keeping him on deer. And at six months, we still struggled with, um, live deer. Uh, a couple tracks I went on, we jumped 10 plus deer that ran over the trail. And that's really hard for a six old, six month old dog to track a 10, 15 plus hour track when, uh, hot deer scent just crossed the old cold trail. He wants, he wants to get on that fresh scent. So this year I tried to only take tracks unless it was for friends that were aged six plus hours. Cause I wanted him to be specialized on that cold, that cold scent, that old scent that he has to mentally, mentally uh, focus on that one single deer when we're tracking through soybean fields, corn fields, uh, woodlots that, 
are covered in deer trails and we're only we're focused on that one deer's inner inner digital gland scent and all the odor the deer puts off on the trail so whether that's uh body odor or uh dander or water or blood dripping off or anything along those circumstances and gut shots and organ shots they seem the dogs seem to just run different huh and i know i don't have a lot of experience on it yet but some of the older guys uh with 10 plus years experience or guys that are running 100 tracks a year when their dog they can tell when they start a track how their dog reacts to uh fatally wounded deer and deer that are have a non-fatally hit so with fred he will fred will only be specialized in deer tracking um i think it's a time thing i mean the amount of hours i have into his deer tracking training and to try and cross train him on something else i i think right as of right now he's just solely will be a, a deer tracking dog Sounds good. Reason I asked that is, you know, I mean, you play in sports as well in high school and, and I did myself that it wasn't the in-season preparation. That was performance. It was the off-season is when you had the time and the dedication to get bigger, faster, stronger. You didn't do that in, in season. Um, so, I mean, I know here we are. We still have the second chapter of Michigan deer season. Uh, still left to go, but after January, uh, you're going to start finding yourself into that long off season with Fred. What type of training, what type of regiment are you looking at, or have you not thought about that yet as far as what, what does off season look like for Fred? Uh, I haven't really thought about it much, but talking with veteran trackers and talking with, uh, some of my mentors it's it's going to be a little bit a lot of relaxation um just solely based on the fact that these the cold temperatures that we experience in michigan the uh 20 degrees and below even the negative temperatures are really tough on a dog um and the fact also the fact that fred is a younger dog so if i make him training tracks uh with the tracking shoes he can follow the tracking my shoe prints in the snow so that's another thing that to be considered so i might do some just uh i have a tennis ball that's uh i encased in a deer hide and i'll take them out we'll play fetch i'll throw it around just to keep that drive going and maybe I'll take some deer hides out and we'll play tug of war. But honestly, the, a lot of time will be spent at trade shows, um, promoting the Michigan deer tracking network and promoting United blood trackers. And like you said, getting the word out to hunters that we're an option and that you don't have to leave dead deer in the woods. If your deer is dead, we'll come find it. And, we'll put a hundred percent effort into finding your deer. So a lot of the, a lot of the off season, I think will be spent out 
Uh, I know the Grand Rapids has the ultimate sports show, the ultimate hunting show, and we'll be there and promoting, promoting uh, the Michigan deer tracking network and promoting these dogs. So people understand that we are an option and uh, educating them on what to do. Like we talked about earlier, when the rare occasion arrives that they do need us. Yeah, that's good. I love the promotion aspect of it. And yeah, I'm glad that, uh, we're going to keep, uh, keep Fred in the game. You know, I, I think I was talking with, um, Ray and bird, um, earlier too. And he said, yeah, like as much as I want to be able to train him, if you know, you get deep enough snow, he's just going to start following my tracks. So pretty soon the game is I'm not looking for the deer. I'm looking for my owner at that point and, and basically cheating the, cheating the system. Um, but yeah, as I was sitting in the tree stand this year, it was just knowing that there was the network and how uh, we had connected and I knew friend was was willing to travel a little bit, you know, we're the county over. When I was able to take my shot on a doe this year, um, I had your number stored like, and I was, I was ready to text. Not, I mean, I, I didn't have it up, like ready to send the text at that moment. But when I made my shot, it was just, I, there was so much confidence I had both in the setup and just the practice I had. And then just knowing there was a backup system that, Hey, this, this doe just screams off across, uh, several ravines. You know what? I might just call a dog and let's speed this process up and get Fred some training. Unfortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately, greatly, she just <laughs> fell right there. So I looked at white belly all night, but at the same time I was like, oh, I don't get to call Fred. Darn it. Cause I would love to watch Fred work. That was, it was great to have you, uh, come out and, and, uh, help tie my good buddy over here. So that's awesome. Um, I did see a, a post that you had posted on, I think it was Facebook at that point. It was just a meme of, hey, this is how my deer, this is how my 2019 deer season is going. <laughs> and it's this chick just kicking a guy right in the groin. So has the dog tracking really been that hard on your hunting? Um, yes and no. So I, I have been fortunate enough. I have been able to hunt quite a bit, but Honestly, I probably only sat in my tree stand or blind maybe maybe five times without receiving a text, phone call, or a request to go on a track. And so at that point, it's really it's setting up for the track. So just the other day, um, I just got out to my blind. I sat down. Uh, I was ready for the night's hunt, and my brother texted me. He said, hey, my father-in-law shot a deer. Uh, the hit was marginal. The deer took off into a knee-deep swamp. Can you help me out? So at that point, it was, it was I think it was around like 4.30. I had gotten out there late. So I was like, all right, I want to get on this track before dark. So I pack up everything go home, grab Fred and head out to the track. But it's, yeah, it has, if anyone considering uh, deer tracking or getting a dog and training it to track deer, your hunting time will, will be drastically decreased. Um, and I can't complain. I loved everything about this year. And the best part was 
at the end of Tyler's track, I get to see him, his daughters, how happy they were. Uh, They're screaming in his house and they, all they want to do is see the deer their dad shot. And that right there is enough to, uh, to take away some of the sting of not being able to hunt as much, but it, it definitely had an impact, but the biggest thing that I've thought is I'm just going to have to become a more efficient hunter. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's, the, that's the silver lining, I guess. Um, I'm going to have to become more efficient and use my days wisely because the other thing is the days I do get to hunt, it's, there's no checking the wind and things like that. It's doing the best you can, but these are the only days I have. So I'm grabbing my mobile setup and I'm headed to the woods and whether it's rain or snow or uh, single digit temperatures, I'm headed out there because odds are I'm either tracking at night or setting a track up for the next day. So, and I haven't even really been, I've only done uh, like 25 tracks this year and there's guys out there right now that are approaching triple digits. Uh, uh, over a hundred tracks in just October, November. So it's, it's pretty incredible the amount of tracks that some, some of the veteran trackers can handle at this point. Uh, I hope to be there one day, but it's, it's building that network up, like you said, and getting the word out. So it's, it's a lot of, a lot of time spent in the tree stand. I've talked to, uh, more than a dozen clients in my tree stand and I'm, I'm there whispering and they're like, Oh, are you hunting? And I'm like, yeah, but your call is more important at this point. So I get all their information and if I can't help them, then I'll take all their information and put it on our network. So somebody that's um, not hunting or somebody that's closer to them at that point. So calls aren't going unanswered. So we have, I'll post all their information, their shot, everything like that. And then we'll make sure that hunters are getting helped out. That's great. That's great. But now I understand, though, like I think we were talking earlier, you had, you've gotten a chance to go out west, um, some opportunity out there and chase a lot of stuff bigger than uh, whitetail. Didn't you and uh, was it you and your brother went on a, an elk adventure out in Colorado, was it? Uh, yep. So this past uh september uh my brothers uh my dad uh we went out to colorado for 10 days on a archery elk hunt i'm very very lucky to have a um aunt that lives in golden colorado and she owns a horse ranch and my cousin uh operates the ranch and every year she buys horses to uh she trains them uh to pack meat and pack out for elk so and my uncle used to be uh he still is an out he's not he's an outfitter but he has nothing to do with the hunting he's more of he supplies the tents the the food and that aspect so we spent 10 days in colorado um didn't kill anything but it was an amazing experience. I less than 10 yards away from a moose. We, uh, we, one day we took the horses and went, I think like eight miles back into the back country. And that's some pretty incredible, incredible 
scenery. Um, did smell a uh, mountain lion. My brother and I were five miles back climbing up a mountain and all of a sudden we got this strong, strong scent of cat pee. And that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up when you're <laughs> five five miles back and it's just you two and you yeah. you get that 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 uh, eerie feeling that something's watching you at that point but oh man yeah, those big old tabby cats they'll take you out <laughs> yeah it was an unforgettable experience and uh two years ago we went out on a rifle hunt and we we're my cousin uh was lucky enough to harvest uh six by five on our second day and we harvested at night and let me tell you we were i think we were seven miles back and he shot at the elk at five o'clock. We had it, we didn't get it quartered and hanging till at least ten thirty, and then we didn't get it back to the trailhead. And then we only took the tenderloins, and he took the head, and we still didn't make it to the track back to the trailhead till at least one a.m. It was it was one of the most grueling experiences. Uh, Cause my, my cousin couldn't make it out with the horses cause it was so late and it was so dark. So we spent the night hoofing it back to the trailhead covered in blood and <laughs> meat. And it was, it was an incredible experience and it's something that I think everybody, uh, should take, take the risk, go out there and just, if anything, just experience how wild it is out there. I mean, in Michigan, you can, Anywhere you go, you can pretty much you'll bump into a road on state land, but out there it's you can go five, six, seven miles, and it's 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 just a whole new world out there. Yeah, what's the probably the thing that uh, us eastern hunters? I, I put us in the eastern category because we we sit in trees and just wait for something to happen. Um, we've probably got patience down. That's probably our main. Uh, what do I want to say? Like our, our specialty is, is just sitting there and being patient. What, what is something that we should learn from the Western guys? Um, I would say, uh, conditioning would definitely be one. (laughs) (laughs) There's no rut gut out there. I can't just, I just can't sit back and eat hamburgers. There's there's no hostess. Yeah, there is hostess. Um, the biggest thing would, um, out there is just, just keep, just keep going. I mean, I understand that we're here and the, we have the patience and we sit in a tree stand, but waking up every day and hiking two to four miles up a mountain and you hike for two hours before you even get to your spot. I mean, persistence and you, you have 10 days, maybe less seven days to fill a tag. So it's that persistence is to, not sleeping in and I know we have the patience to sit 10 hours, but you need some drive to keep going when you've hiked two two hours every day and or two hours in the morning and then you're hiking all day and you're not seeing anything. So uh, the biggest thing is just being persistent and it only takes one second out there. And just like, just like the Michigan rut, it only takes one second. Um, my, my cousin, uh, Paul and my brother Scott were lucky enough. They had an elk at 
12 yards and they had it at 42 yards, but we were hunting some dense, dense, dark timber and they were just not able to get a shot with the archery equipment. So, but yeah, the biggest thing is persistence. Keep every single day, get up and get out there. It's, they're out there. They're just it's really hard to find them, especially when 90% of the scouting you're doing is sitting at, <laughs> sitting at a computer, looking at a screen. Yeah, it's hard to connect the two. You know, I'm trying to envision where elk are going to be via, you know, Onyx or Google Maps or whatever. And now to translate that into a, you know, actually being on the ground and finding the living creature. I can't even imagine. But uh, it's on the bucket list there, Tony. I'm I'm looking forward to tr- doing it one day. So that's good. I got to just not give up and I can't sleep in. I got to be up in yeah. the crack of dawn. I got to be up the mountain. Yeah, it's... Yeah, those those 3 a.m., 4 a.m. wake-up calls, because I think shooting hours when you're out there are like 6.45, 6.50. And uh, I got to share this. Uh, opening day, my brother and I were hiking up the mountain, and uh, us, it was really frosty. It was the coldest morning. It was like 20 degrees out, and my brother slipped and uh, tripped, fell, snapped his bow sight in half. Oh and gosh. it was 10 minutes before shooting hours and we're five miles back in the mountain. And he goes, well, looks like you're shooting today. Um, and I had luckily thrown in at the last minute. I had a cheap, like $30 Walmart site that I had thrown in my bag. Just like if anything happens, we might need this. So that day we ended up, we came home early we ended up like 10 miles from camp at a different trailhead. And some guy was lucky enough. He picked us up uh, walking down the main road and brought us home. So that, that was an experience, but lucky enough, my brother got back and we got his bow all sighted in and it was, yeah. Opening day, five minutes before shooting hours and you snap your bow sight in half. So it's, it's a different world. Gotcha. So have backups. Be persistent and yep. bring extra equipment. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure he slipped? I think you pushed yeah. him. I think you wanted <laughs> to shoot that day. I think you pushed yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I it scared scared the heck out of me. I thought I thought what I heard snap was his arm. Oh and man. I, I was I was so scared for a couple minutes because that's all I saw was him go down in a snap. And I was like, Oh, I'm gonna have to carry him off this mountain. And it's the first day of a 10 day hunt. And yeah, it was, it was an experience, but yeah, it's a lot of planning and a lot, a lot, a lot of planning. And, but the biggest thing is just go out there with, with people who, people who want to go on that adventure and people who are going to, people who want to see everybody succeed. And sometimes it's not about killing elk. Um, I got to spend 10 days with my family out in Colorado and camp. I got to spend camp uh, with my dad and uh, three of my brothers and my cousins. So that's, that alone was an unforgettable experience being able to spend that time out there with them. And we were lucky enough to do some fishing while we were out there. We caught some trout and, it was it was just an amazing experience to be able to take that time with family 
because that's that's really big to me spending spending quality time outdoors and incorporating the family aspect of it awesome i think you hit the nail on the head right there that yeah if you go out there it's going to be an adventure and yeah memories are going to be made all right hey tony we're coming to the crescendo of uh of my show here and it's the two dish breakdown so I am kind of uh, catching you off guard, uh, off guard here a little bit, but you're going to be describing two dishes uh, that you have either prepared or will prepare at some point. Um, first one, as you're out west, describe to me what morning breakfast looks like. You just mentioned you're getting up at 3 and 4 a.m. to just get up to the spot so you can see when you're waking up, what kind of breakfast are you putting out? I'm I'm a breakfast guy. Like I want to be fueled for the day. You know, lunch I could give or take. Yeah. But breakfast is where it's going to be at. Are you pulling out like the eggs and bacon at this point, or to you know to last you, or is it like oatmeal and like lukewarm coffee? What are you What are you putting together for uh, a day of elk hunting? So I was lucky enough. Um my brothers and everyone always made fun of me. I was the first one up every day. Uh, usually we'd make coffee the night before and, uh, we were lucky enough. We weren't roughing it too bad. We had a three burner stove and my aunt is a godsend. And she had, uh, she had made us a full menu. We had every single day broken down into what we were eating, breakfast, lunch, dinner, everything menu down to every single thing she uh i really couldn't believe it so i'd get up in the morning we had breakfast burritos i'd put them on for about start the fire or start the stove in 10 minutes and then oatmeal oatmeal was a definite every single morning um getting those carbs in uh but they were pre-made costco breakfast burritos as bad as that sounds (laughs) but I'm sure if you're that hungry, though, it's like, whatever, man, I'll take it. Just throw it down. Powder eggs, fine. I'm good with it. Let's go. The quickest and most efficient way possible. I mean, and then everything, everything was always prepared the night before. So we're making lunches just like at deer camp. You're making lunches the night before for the next day. And we uh, were unlucky. We had some of the days. We had 30, 40 mile an hour winds during the day and it was temperatures were getting up to 60, 78, 70 degrees. So at that time we were coming back to, we were hunting in the morning and then it was just nothing dead in the afternoon. So we would come back to camp and hang out and get to spend some time there and then uh, head up for the evening hunt. But yeah, breakfast burritos, coffee and definitely oatmeal and maybe a protein bar too, just, just to keep you going, but definitely a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah. Get that caffeine kick and the, yeah, yeah get the uh, sleep out of your eyes at that point. Well, good. Now this one, this one's going to be a little bit more of a, of a stretch. This is going to be a little bit more detailed. We are talking date night. Now, here we are. We're getting to the last part of deer camp, and I'm sure the girlfriend would love to spend a little time with you. Um, Fred happens to be either uh, he's, he's put away at the point or he's uh, off with Grandma and Grandpa doing something. Anyway, he's gone out of the house, and it's just you and her for the evening. 
uh, but you're cooking in. You're doing a, an in an in date at home. What are you gonna prepare? Wild game wise, I'm gonna keep it into into the wild game. But what are you gonna prepare for your girlfriend to make this night just right? So, uh, Helen's Helen's family uh, is stricken with food allergies. So her brother's allergic to peanuts, and her dad has allergic to fish. So, for a date night, if we're at my house, that means we can have fish. So, cooking up some uh, fresh uh, steelhead, I would have to go with. Uh, fresh out of the river, uh, marinated with uh, some brown sugar, a little bit of lemon. Uh, just getting that nice uh, grill, put it on the grill. Um, she absolutely loves fish, so that would definitely have to be on the menu. Um, maybe some asparagus, some fresh asparagus, uh, and then to round it all out, probably some potatoes I would have to go with. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely fresh ven or fresh steelhead. That's one of her favorites with that maple. Maple brown sugar glaze over it, fresh off the grill. Yeah, like a candied style almost. Yep, yep, definitely, definitely the candy style. It's, it's, it's one of the things I look forward to after deer season is getting in the water and trying to catch some steelhead. So, that would definitely have to be on the menu. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I've had a couple people really talk about, really talk up steelhead saying that yeah the winter runs are probably the best time to be able to get out and get get some of the eaters um as you're pulling fish out you know you're, you're probably being selective how many what's the limit on uh steelhead do you have that off top of your head i don't know what it's I, th- I think it's three but i we rarely if we keep one we'll keep an older a uh, male or we try to release all the hens we can just to keep the population going yeah. um I think I'm pretty sure the limit's only three, but I could be wrong on that. But yeah, we if we keep one, we're we're taking it out that day and bringing it home and cooking it. Um, but I fighting a steelhead is alone the prize. Catching one, catch and release. Yeah, it's if I keep if I haven't caught one all year, I might keep one. But it depends on the season. But definitely, definitely gotta gotta get a steelhead on the menu awesome hey i love it i haven't heard a good fish one fish story in a long time so that's good to know that yeah that helen likes the old candied candied steelhead i love it off the grill well tony this has been an awesome hour thanks for taking some time and just uh chatting it up um i want to give you a second just do a a shameless plug where where can I send my folks, especially here in Michigan? I know there's people that are elsewhere, and there is a national uh, network as far as blood trackers. But where can I send hunters so that they can get some help uh, tracking their deer? All right. So most people have Facebook. So go on Facebook and look up the Michigan Deer Tracking Network. Um, we have a page, and... We're looking to grow it every single day, so share it as much as you can. Um, there's trackers all over the state on there, so 
and some of most of these guys have been are veteran trackers so if they don't if they can't get you help within our inner network we still have people outside of our network that we can connect you with but most of the trackers anybody that's looking for a tracker look up the michigan deer tracking network and then my personal page is just find it fred deer tracking on facebook um most trackers will have their independent page so uh my mentor eric peterson his is west michigan whitetail tracking um and then brian alberta is lost blood deer tracking um so we each kind of have our own individual network or brand but we're all part of the michigan deer tracking network and that um that's all on facebook and then instagram is just find it fred deer tracking um instagram is kind of more popular with the the younger crowd um so you'll find a lot of the younger guys or uh the younger generation on instagram and just get on there and before the season we have we come out with a list and it's every single tracker their county their phone number and where they're if they're willing to travel and save that list before the season starts next year or this year so when the time comes that you do need a tracker that you'll have somebody on hand and then the united blood trackers is also is the national organization and they have trackers all over the entire country um and they push for getting legislation that allows um tracking dog tracking dogs in states because there's still some states in the united states that do not allow tracking um so we're working on making that um getting those states to allow tracking and then a big thing this year that i would also like to promote is um may 1st i I believe the first week in twin lake um michigan is hosting a track fest and eric peterson my mentor um is going to be the host for that and trackers from all over the country will be coming to michigan to uh do the united blood trackers has steps so they have stages um and difficulty it's like field dog trials and Fred and I will be participating in to become uh, certified trackers. So it's it's a certification for your dog and just the uh, different difficulty stages. So the amount of blood, how long the track is, how long it's aged and in Michigan. So that's, that's a huge thing. And I'm really excited for that. Um, The biggest thing is, yeah, Michigan deer tracking network, join, become a part of it. And, Take the time to find the local tracker. Give him a call. Even if you're not going to use his services, he's, we can. I still take calls from people and give them advice on a blood trail. Because most hunters are only seeing one to two tracks a year. And most of us are taking 25 to 100 tracks a year. So we're seeing a lot of these things that hunters aren't always seeing, whether it's what the blood looks like or what we're seeing based on the deer's reaction or how the deer reacted. So um, take some time, look up Michigan Deer Tracking Network on Facebook and save, save our list of trackers. So the next time you hit that trophy buck that you can give us a call and we'll be out there right away to help you find it. Tony, that's great. 
thank you so much for the service that you uh, you've been able to provide uh, Michigan archers and uh, riflemen and shotgunners. It's awesome. It is definitely a blessing that uh, Michigan has allowed uh, blood tracking dogs. I think ultimately, yeah, like as you said, working towards more states picking this up. If if hunting's going to continue to be relevant, if hunting's going to continue to be seen on the good side of non-hunters being able to get our quarry, get our prey that we've already put down is going to be essential. And uh, yeah, I mean, the dogs are working, but that's what they're bred to do, and that's what they want nothing more to do is that just to go and find that prize. So hey, thank you for all the effort that you've put into training Fred. And uh, yeah, good luck here in the off se- or the rest of the season and in the off season. Yeah, thank you very much, Nick, and I appreciate you taking the time to have me on here and promoting the Michigan Deer Tracking Network. And I, the biggest thing is we love helping hunters, and that's the thing. So don't hesitate. Give us a call. And the biggest thing is we want to help you, and we're out here to provide a service because nothing makes us happier than making hunters happy. So. We just appreciate hunters taking the time to give us a call so we can come help them out. Good deal. Hey, I'm going to have you hold on for just a second, and uh, I'm going to send my folks on out. So, yeah, if you haven't uh, already done it, go ahead and find Michigan Deer Trackers on Facebook. Also, if you are a dog person yourself and you are a houndsman or a houndswoman, uh, May 1st, there's that twins twin in Twin Lake, Michigan, uh, is going to be the, uh, what, what is that called again, Tony? Uh, track Fest. Track Fest. So be sure to look that up. But yeah, folks, keep your, uh, your bowstrings tight. When in doubt, back out. And always, keep your knives sharp.